0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: But this is the one to whom I will look, says the Lord. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at My Word. Let's pray. Lord, give grace to us that we would tremble at Your Word and not at the world. Give us a trembling grace that sees Your Word as life, as instruction, as commandment, as hope and blessing, light for our path, the guide to righteousness. Lord, would you open our eyes to it and would you produce in us then contrition and humility? We see who you are in the Word, and we see who we are in the Word. Humble us, Lord. Produce hearts in us that are soft towards You. Lord, we are not naturally that way. We are all a stiff-necked people. Shine in Your Word and illumine our minds. Please, Lord. Give grace to us this morning that we could hear and that I could speak somewhat accurately. Because without that grace, I have nothing to say and we have no ears to hear. But Lord, by grace, would You open the Word now to us. Produce humility and contrition and trembling. Thank You for grace, Father. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Located to the south of Florida and east of Mexico is an area of ocean and island called the Caribbean, also called the West Indies, because as the story goes, the first European settlers or sailors to reach there were traveling from Europe trying to get to India by traveling west, and they got stuck in the Caribbean and thought, well, we're probably pretty close to India, or at least in a place that's kind of like India, we'll call this the West Indies, West India. That name never actually made very much sense to me. I think I would have called it East India, because if you look at a map, you're still east of India. But nonetheless, traveling west, come to the Caribbean, you get stuck there. Now, if you know anything about geography, you know that the Bahamas and Cuba, the Dominican Republic, no matter what you call that area there, it's not anywhere near India, it's not like India, it's not Indian, it's different. It's different. And if you're in a boat and you've just come into the Caribbean, your trip to India is over. You can't get there from there. There's land all around it. You've got to backtrack and take a whole other route if you want to try to go to India. That's all obvious to us today because we know some geography. We've seen the larger picture. But back then it wasn't so clear. The first sailors sailing from Europe, trying to go west to India, in search of goods there, trade bounty, got stopped short and never realized how far short they'd come. It's kind of like a lot of us in life. We're seeking good. We're seeking some bounty in life. Call it what you want. Call it blessing or rest or fun or comfort or entertainment or pleasure, hope, safety, security, trying to fix what's wrong in the world, right the evils. We're seeking all of that. We're after it. But we seek it along a path that doesn't actually go there and leaves us far short. It's not the search that's wrong. Those things that we're looking for, we are made for those things. We humans were made for joy, we're made for peace. We're made to live in a world that has no wrong in it, that has no evil, in which everything's fixed and corrected. We're made for that. The search isn't wrong, it's the path that's wrong. You're in Europe and you say, India's that way, let's sail that way. makes sense. Here in life, this looks fun, this looks satisfying, I'm going to do that. The experts say I should go this way and I'll find contentment. I'm going to go this way. Everybody around me is chasing after this, I will too makes sense, doesn't lead there, leaves you far short. That's what's before us this morning in Acts chapter 3, a search for something. With a lot of promise in it, but it's only along one path. And so this morning, my hope, my prayer is that you would look at yourself and you would say, am I chasing the right thing on the wrong path? And do I need to turn around and go back and get on a different path? Not just massage this one and try to move a little bit to the right or left. Change and go to a different route. Is that you? Do you need to do that? Do you need to turn and go a different way? Look at yourself and look at those around you. Not to be hypercritical of them and judgmental of them, but to see if you can bless them by helping point them to a different path. Their hearts are searching for something too. And you might be a blessing to them by pointing them to the path that actually leads there. Acts 3 this morning. But before we look at our passage today, let's remember where we came from last week in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. In the first verses of this chapter, we see a, a miracle happen, in fact. Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, as was their custom, and they come upon a lame man who has been situated, he's been carried and seated beside one of the gates of the temple. He's destitute, and he's there to beg for gifts of mercy from passerbys. And Peter and John are passerbys on this day at this hour, and they see him, and they stop to offer him a tremendous mercy gift. Not I mean money, though, so they say, we don't have money to give you, but what we do have, that we're going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we'll rise up and walk. In the name of, by the authority of, by the power of Jesus, who is the Christ, take my hand, stand up, be healed forever, and walk. And the man sits there and considers it for a second and believes, believes the word of Peter that Jesus has that kind of power. Takes his hand, rises up, And is permanently, dramatically healed. And everybody sees it. Luke emphasizes the result in verses 8 and 9 by twice saying walking and leaping and rejoicing. A party breaks out in this man's heart and he's just running around making a tremendous scene. Everybody knows who he is, knows what his condition was, sees what's happened. Last sentence of verse 10, but they're bewildered by it. What, what is this? I mean, we know what it is, we can see, but what is it? Where did it come from? How did you receive this blessing? They're bewildered, they're in wonder, they're in shock, and they ask, and it leads us to today's passage. Verses 11 and following. I'm going to read all the rest of chapter 3 in the book of Acts. 3, 11 and following. While he, the lame man, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him to walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, until the time for the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Peter, John, the healed man, they're all there together and they draw a great big crowd and Peter sees an opportunity to preach. They want to know what's going on. I know what's going on. I'm going to take this opportunity to tell them. And he very quickly turns their attention away from himself towards Christ. The crowd's kind of mixed up. They don't know how all this happened. And he says, stop looking at us Let me turn you to God. He begins to speak their religious language by this repetition of God that's Resonates in their hearts as, as religious spiritual Jews. God, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, the God that we know, the God of our scriptures, whose word is light to us, God who called our father out of Ur, the Chaldeans, and made a covenant with him and gave him this land. God, our God, not us. Our God has done something remarkable here. He has glorified his servant, Jesus. That's the first time they've heard Jesus in relation to this event, and that's an attention grabber. They weren't there when he healed him in the name of Jesus, and now they've heard Jesus, and they have an opinion of Jesus. Crowds think something about him. What Peter's going to say to them is very sharp. Watch the contrast that unfolds here. God has glorified Jesus, whom you denied fourfold. You delivered him over, that is, you betrayed him. You denied him. You denied the Holy and Righteous One, verse 14. You killed him, verse 15. And God raised him from the dead. See the contrast here. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, our God is doing something right here before your eyes. He is lifting up this Christ, performing a miracle through him, the one he raised from the dead. But, but why do you have to raise him from the dead in the first place? Because you people, in every way you can think of, are rejecting him, and you even killed him, whom God raised from the dead. He's building this very sharp contrast He's arguing his case for their guilt. They stand at odds against the God of the Scriptures. Evidenced by the resurrection, evidenced by the miracle performed in Jesus' name. Proving that God stands towards him. By his name this man was healed. That's what he's saying in verse 16. By the power of his name. The faith didn't heal him, the name healed him. By faith in his name, the power is acquired, the power is applied, but the power is in the name of Jesus. This healing and the resurrection are both validating Jesus and declaring what God thinks of him, contrasted with what people think of him. He's busting them here. But he doesn't just stop with an explanation of how the healing happened. He doesn't just say, that's how it happened. And he doesn't just break them with their guilt. He moves on and he calls them to turn around. And how he introduces this call tells us something about sin. He's real clear about the, you denied him, you threw him off, you betrayed him, you, you broke the law, you, you acquitted the guilty, the murderer and condemned the innocent that a Gentile even knew was innocent. He's real clear about their their fist-shaking stance against God. And it was in ignorance. That's a certain gentleness. You didn't know what you were doing. This mirrors the words of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, but they don't really know what they're doing. They don't see me. Spiritual blindness, ignorance. These two things together. And God steps into the middle of them and offers hope, a chance, grace. There's, there's a hope here. You didn't know what you're doing, but God did. In fact, this is God's plan being worked out so that, the, that this Christ would suffer and provide a way out. So here's the call to you. Turn. Repent. And then he gives them several reasons that they're going to want to do that. Your sins will be wiped out. Come into the presence of God and receive refreshing. And then the Christ will come back and fix everything. He'll come back for you and fix everything. And he backs it up by referring to three different strands of the prophets. This is just what Moses said would happen. He's the prophet that Moses spoke about. He's the king that Samuel and others spoke about, the king in the line of David. And he's the one that was prophesied about to Abraham, the seed who would be the blessing to the nations. The last verse there, look at what the blessing actually is. The blessing is a turning of people away from wickedness. The blessing is not a blessing within wickedness. The blessing is the actual turning of people away from it. That's how he's come to bless. To turn you away from this path, this path of wicked ways. And with the mention of the servant who's come to bless, it's back where he started, the beginning. That's the passage. Continuing on with the explanation from last week's healing miracle. Highlighting God's work in God the Son, Jesus. Peter, in a number of different ways, is putting Jesus right on center stage. Lifting Him up in front of people as the Bible is always doing. The Bible is always about putting Jesus right in the middle of everything. That's what Peter's doing here in this sermon. And it's essential because In Jesus you can find blessing and you can't find it anywhere else. There's only one path that leads to what your heart's looking for, Jesus. So here's the main point. God has provided one, only one, path to blessing. Only one. Turn and embrace Him. That's the point of Peter's sermon. It's the point of this sermon. God has provided one and only one path. So turn, repent, and embrace this one path. Find what you're looking for. I'm going to break that into two parts, two halves here. Let me begin with the first, the first half. First point is all through the sermon. It's all through the Bible. It's all about Jesus. The Bible in general, Peter here, Pressing upon us Christ. Here's the first main point. It it takes up most of the verses, in fact, of this sermon. God has raised up his chosen servant. Talk about that title there. God has raised up his chosen servant to bless. It's what God has done here. Peter deflects attention from himself and turns it immediately towards Jesus. And look at all the different ways in this passage that he describes him. Jesus is the Holy and Righteous One. This is about His character. He is Himself the the living example of the character and nature of God. He is righteousness personified. Everything that He does, everything that He says, everything He is, is right and pure, holy, holy, holy. In His mouth there was no deceit. He knew no sin. He is absolutely perfect in everything. A model for us and a teacher of us. This is the one the Old Testament was always pointing towards. One who would come and would show us what it means to walk with God. What it means to be righteous and holy in character and in nature. This is the one, Jesus. Holy and righteous. And He's the author of life. This goes to his power. In him all things were made. And by the power of his name are all things remade. The the mute speak, the deaf hear, the lame leap for joy. In him were all things made. Things on heaven and on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or principalities or rulers, everything, everywhere that has ever been made, made by this one, Only one being can say that. God. This is God. In the flesh. Second person of the Trinity. Come down to walk the earth. Character of God. The power of God. The wisdom of God. The teaching of God. He's the prophet that Moses spoke of. That we must listen to or else perish. This is the one who speaks the truth of God to us. Because he is the truth. And the way and the life. This is the king that Samuel spoke of, the one in the line of David who would take up the scepter and sit upon the throne of the people of God forever and ever and ever. This is the seed promised to Abraham, the single individual in which all the blessings made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would come down and focus on one person, and everybody who gets into that one person is blessed, the nations included. The seed of Abraham, the king of David. Prophet like Moses, the author of life, the holy and righteous one, the servant. Skipped over that title, but it frames our section. It's in verse 13 and in verse 26. So we need to think about that for just a second. What does he mean when he calls him the servant? Where does that come from? It comes from the book of Isaiah, as just about everything else does too. I probably should have preached Isaiah before I preached anything else because Isaiah is the root of so much in the New Testament. In the book of Isaiah, God has pictured, God describes his people Israel as his servant on a mission. They were going to declare what God is like to all the wicked nations that were surrounding them, they were going to show God to people, but they failed. And failed miserably because they they told lies about what God was like because they themselves walked in wickedness. So there's another servant that's needed. A true and righteous and holy and faithful servant. God's going to find someone else to be that servant. So from Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 6, hear him talk about this other servant. It says there in verse 1, Listen, The Lord has called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named my name, verse 3, and he said to me, you are my servant, Israel. Now, is that still the whole nation of Israel or is that an individual? uses Israel, maybe it's the whole people. Could be a person though, to keep looking here. You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And now the Lord says, verse 5, He who formed me from the womb to be my servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. So there's the answer. This servant, his job is to bring back Jacob and the remnant of Israel. So this servant is not the whole people. It's an individual called Israel. This individual has a job, bring back Jacob, bring back Israel. But, verse 6, it's too light of a thing that you should just be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the, bring back the preserved of Israel. I'm going to make you a light for the nations that my salvation may be spread throughout all the earth. That's what verse 6 says. The servant of the Lord has a job. He's coming, says Isaiah, to make God known clearly and accurately, to bring Jacob and the remnant of Israel back, and to bring the nations back to me. That's his job. How's he going to do that? How will he accomplish all that? Isaiah 52, verse 13 and following, still on the servant theme. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Many were astonished at you with appearance so marred beyond human semblance, form beyond that of humankind. Thus shall you sprinkle many nations. Continuing on in 53, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. It was the will of the Lord to crush him and put him to grief. Thus shall this righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous in my sight. That chapter you're really familiar with, Isaiah 53. It's a servant in there. It continues on from those earlier chapters. How does the servant... Make God known and call not just Jews, but Gentiles to God. It's right there. Wounded for transgressions. Crushed for iniquities by the will of God. Bearing those sins on his own back. In this suffering, the servant is lifted up onto a cross-shaped pulpit and preaches to everyone, this is God. This is God. Behold him. In wrath and in justice and in grace and in mercy and love. The nature of God shown in the cross, salvation made in the cross. See, he says, here from the blood and water flowing out of my pierced side, here you can be redeemed. Here you can be ransomed. Here you can be made clean. Forgiven. Here alone is how you get onto that highway of holiness. Last week, Isaiah 35. This is how you get onto that highway. How you get into the presence of God. Here in me. The way that God has made. Here you can come into the presence where blessing flows to you. Where the fountain of refreshment is opened up. I've come to bless you, to draw you to myself, to take you into the presence of God where you receive God. That's what God is like. God wants to do that in people's lives. And He only can do that in the cross. That's the only place He can take care of sin. The cross shows off God and it provides the path to blessing. Right now, He's in heaven reigning. He will one day come back. This is a sure thing. It's a promise. I will return. I have gone ahead to prepare a place for you. I will come back to get you, to take you to be where I am. It says that in John 14. There is one path that leads through the servant revealing God opening the way to God, it's Jesus. And look at the blessings we receive there. Sin wiped away. Refreshment. And the word for that is rest flowing out from the presence of God. That's rest and refreshment in here, in the soul. Joy and hope and peace. A lot of different words you could put in there. And a place in the eternal kingdom with Him. God has raised up His chosen servant so as to bless us. And many of us, many of us hear that and say, Oh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I'm really, really excited about that. Really happy for that. And then we go along our way. And keep doing her own thing. I mean, thank goodness that God's provided a way to blessing for me. I love that. Now, where was I in my wicked ways? I'm not talking to non-Christians. I'm talking to those who claim Christ here. That is how we all sometimes, and some of us a lot of the time, live. I didn't say much there that you didn't already know. Peter said it, they they didn't know some of those things, so it's news to them, but you've heard that before. It should ring in your ears, it should encourage you, but for many of us, it's familiar. The problem is not ignorance of it, the problem is inattention to it. We leave it and go on walking in our wicked ways. What's the call to you? Repent. Turn. That leads us to the second point. First point, God has raised up his chosen servant to bless. That's good. Many of us know that. The second one, though, is repent and turn to him. Repent. Now, obviously, Peter is saying this here to a bunch of first century folks who had a particular role in relation to Jesus and Pilate and all those things. So it has some particular bite in, his, in their lives as he's saying this. But all of us, rejection of the authority of God, rejection of Christ, it's the same no matter what. If you did it in the flesh, if you do it in your heart, if you do it in your mind, it's the same sort of thing. And for some of us, this is stark. You're familiar enough with the Bible to know some of what it says. I know that it says... Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your wives sacrificially. Lay down your lives for them. I know that it says that. Some of us know the Bible. well will to know that it says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Watch out for greed and materialism. It's going to sneak into your life in all kinds of different ways, and it's a really good idol because it can provide so many things for you. Watch out, be on guard. I know that it says that. So I must know that the Bible says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Stay together. It's in a marriage context. It's a covenant. Mirroring the covenant that God has made with his people. It's a covenant. I know. I heard that before. Some of us know that it says, make every effort to pursue the unity of peace. But she said, he's so disrespectful. I know, but we know those things and say, thank goodness that God blesses me. I'm going to leave all that stuff over here with the God who blesses, and I'm going to walk over here enjoying his blessing probably. I'm going to pursue my own agenda and my own thoughts. Not in everything, but in some of these that are particularly hard or that I don't like very much. For some of us, it's that stark. For a lot of us, though, it's more subtle. You just find yourself somehow or another on those internet sites again. You didn't really turn on the computer to go there, but here you are. Where you find yourself arguing with your spouse again about who knows what this time, but It's again. I wish I could get him or her to cooperate, see things in the right light. Mine. Or you're frustrated with your kids, or you're worried about finances, or or you find yourself in school doing stuff that you know you shouldn't be doing, but the other kids laugh with you instead of at you this time. And that's a nice thing. So you do it, or you say it. You wear it. That's a lot more subtle. A lot of us live there. But either way, stark or subtle, make no mistake, we all deny the Holy and Righteous One. We all deny holiness and righteousness. We all hold Him at bay and cling to wickedness. Oh, I don't like that word. How could I do wickedness? I'm a nice person. That's the Bible's language, because if it's not righteous, it's wicked. There are only two categories not like morally neutral. There are things that are morally neutral, of course. Wearing certain ties, morally neutral things happen. But in the moral realm, there are not morally neutral things. There are righteous things or wicked things. One of the two. And if we're not walking in righteousness, we're walking in wickedness. That's what God says. Christians and non-Christians, both, all of us, now, obviously, if you're not a Christian yet, there's, there's a message here for you. It's the exact message that Peter's preaching. This one that you've held out is approved by God. You're at odds with God, and you're away from the only path that leads to blessing. Turn. Come back. What you're looking for is not wrong. What you're really looking for is not wrong. It's where you're looking for it that's wrong. That path doesn't go there. Turn and come to the only path that does. Repent. It's an obvious message for non-Christians. And I, I hope that you hear that if you're not a believer here today. But for those who claim Christ, there is a strong message here for us. He intends to bless you by turning you away from your wicked ways. Once decisively, and then day after day after day after day. We have been saved. We repented. And that means that our life is a life of repentance, moment by moment. We repented so as to become repentant. Constantly. Repentance and faith, two sides of the same coin. You might know we're supposed to live by faith. You might might be more familiar with that. It's a flip side of repentance. Repentance. Because faith says, today, right here where I stand, I trust you, Jesus, to be what my heart desires, to be my guide where things are confusing, to be truthful in what you teach. I trust you, which means I don't trust that. I turned away from that repentance and turned to you. You live by faith moment by moment because you live by repentance moment by moment. Same thing. Different sides of the same coin. They're related. We live repentantly. It's the call to us. So what does that mean? What is repentance? It's a word that we use sometimes in Christian circles, but might not know what it means. So let me try to work on that a little bit. Repentance is a change of an inward attitude regarding sin. It's a change of an inward attitude regarding sin. It is not just understanding that something is sin. It's not just saying, I agree intellectually that that is sin. Satan does that. Satan is very well aware what God's like and what non-God is like. He's all about that. So if that's all the repentance is, Satan's the most repentant being in the universe, which is, of course, not true. It's more than just understanding something to be sin. And it's more than just understanding something to be sin and being sorry about it. 2 Corinthians 7 describes a type of grief that's called worldly grief. It's in contrast in that passage to godly grief. Worldly grief that is not associated with repentance a grief that might be like Esau's grief when he realized, what have I done? I sold my birthright. Ah! And he realized the loss and he was saddened by it. But he wasn't repentant. We can often be sorry when we see things that we've done, saddened by it. But just sorrow does not necessarily make it Repentance. So we've got two things there that, it, that are elements but are not the whole picture. Understanding of what's sin, sorrow over it. Critically, genuine repentance includes those and a commitment to reject sin and walk in obedience to Christ. It's an attitudinal change. In here, I make a commitment no. That is sin. In some way I'm broken over that, grieved over it. No. I reject that. I turn away from that in here. This is the reason that we have such weak churches in our culture. This is the reason that we have such weak Quote, Christians in our culture who have no stomach for talking about sin. Who have no zeal for holiness and righteousness. Who have no ability to talk about things like church discipline, where we as a church stand against sin. The reason is because we ourselves are full of folks who have not repented Now, I can't judge that because I can't judge what a commitment in the heart against sin looks like. But many people have claimed to be repentant and are not. Have only gone the first two steps. I understand that that's sin and I'm sorry over it. But they have not taken their stand against it. Now, notice carefully, I am not saying that you have to clean up your act before you can be saved. That's not true. That never happens, in fact. That is not what I'm saying. This is to say, though, that salvation only comes when in a moment, in my heart, I take a stand against sin. If If a diagram helps, think of a person holding on to something who... Realizes suddenly that this thing's like creepy crawly with snakes, and you go, ah, that's repentance. Not physically, but in your heart, you say, "Ah, no, sin kills me, sin is unrighteous, sin is against God, I want nothing to do with it. Now, what does all that mean in your life? Who knows? Like when you stand at the altar to say, through sickness and health, through death to his part, you have no idea what that really means. But you can't say, comma, except for saying, in your heart, I let go of that, and I'm turning and grabbing a hold of Jesus in here. That happens in a moment, a renouncing on the spot, to drop it and leave it and turn. Now that happens in a moment, but it's proven throughout a life. Because genuine repentance leads to ongoing repentance. Perfectly? No. We're all going to sin in many ways. But our attitude has been changed to be anti-sin. That's our overall stance now. If you have actually repented and been saved. Now there are going to be times in every day, many times, when you will sin because you have a sin nature. But the Christian responds against that sin, eventually, in some way, by saying, ah, that's not of me. That's not for me. That's against God. I want away from that. They turn. Because they have turned. If this is causing questions in your mind, please come talk to me. I liken it, perhaps... To a battle against weeds in your yard. Once you commit to the battle against the weeds, you gotta go after the weeds. You can't spray something on your grass once and be done for 20 years. That won't work. Now, when you became a Christian, you received some tools, uh, some aerators and some fertilizers and some herbicides and whatnot. Stuff that you can use to fight against weeds and stuff that you can use proactively to strengthen your lawn, to make it so tight and whatnot that the weeds can't actually grow there. But you gotta do that constantly. Weeding is a constant job. And only happens when you start to weed. You begin at a point, and then it's an ongoing process. Some of us need to realize that your lawn is overrun with weeds. And that might be because you're not a Christian. I don't know. I can't look into your heart. It is at least because you have become far too cozy with sin. It is at least that. The more weeds in your yard, the more you should wonder, is this evidence of something worse than just, oh, I'm a little lazy right now spiritually? Is it evidence of something worse, that maybe you're not actually born again at all? Ask yourself that. If you want to talk about that, ask me that. We can sort through some of those things. Ultimately, I don't know. But we can talk about that. It's important to consider. But for all of us, take up the tools and weed. You must be hostile against sin. Putting to death the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit, says Romans 8. It's a war to the death. You fight against it. Why? Because it's right, yes, because it's right. But because that is a turning from this path of wickedness to Jesus, moment by moment, day by day, if you're a Christian. It's a turning to Him where life is found. And you want that. It's a blessing to you. He's where joy is found, where grace is found. You have to turn to Him. I knew somebody once who used to say constantly, there's no such thing as a happy, disobedient Christian. I don't know if that's really literally true, but you get the point. When you're walking down this path away from Christ and embracing a hold of these things, you're cutting off His joy. Not flowing to you. Grieving the Holy Spirit, if you want to use that phrase. We need to think about this personally and fight, repent, turn against sin. Think about it personally. And also think about it missionally. Think about it as someone looking at those sitting around you and realizes, I've been sent on a mission. I'm sent to others. Christians here in the body and those not yet in the body. How can I help them by helping them to turn from this path, turn to Christ and find the blessing that they're looking for? It's only found here. Can I help them turn? The Bible exhorts you to do just that. Think about other Christians. Hebrews 3. Make every effort to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has a deceitful nature that's going to draw us away. And one of the protections against that in my life is you all to help make sure that I'm not being deceived and me likewise for you. That's Christians helping each other turn from this path, repent and turn to Christ, turn away from sin. And for non-Christians, we all know people who are seeking to sail to India, if you will, but they're stuck in the Caribbean. And they can't get there from there. They have to repent, turn around and go back. And you might be the only one they know who knows that. Tell them. And if you think about it, that's good news. you got to tell them to repent and turn to Christ and turn away from their sin and and confront their wicked ways. Yeah, that's a little hard, but what you offer them is blessing. You don't just say, repent because you have to. That's true. He's a king. He's God. But you also say, repent because you really want to. In some way, you want to. Because this connects you to what you're looking for. Chasing it in a hundred different dark corners and down a lot of alleys that don't go anywhere. But this is what you're looking for. Refreshment. And it flows only out of the presence of the Lord and you only come there if your sins are wiped away and your sins are only wiped away at the cross of the suffering servant. Come there. Find what you're looking for. That's good news. It's good news that has been applied to your life. It's good news that you can help apply to other people's lives as a blessing to them. Think about it missionally. While you are personally waging war against sin, repenting. Repent because God's only provided one way to blessing. One way to blessing. Turn to that one way and embrace it and find life. Let me pray. Lord, would you continue your work of illumination in our minds? This book begins by talking about all that Jesus began to do. And he continues to do much as we see him healing, calling people to himself. He continues to do much today. And so, Lord, I ask you, would you come and do much in our presence here? In the lives of those of us who are Christians, would you Call us to a fresh war against sin and a fresh enjoyment of your presence. And for those here, Lord, who are not yet familiar with you and are not yet believers, would you call them to yourself, convict them of sin and open their eyes to see. They turn away from you in ignorance, Lord. They don't really know. Would you open their eyes to see? Give vision. That's my hope, Lord. My prayer, be with us and go with us, I pray, Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission.